wrestling is a girl thing too. Deal with it. everyone and welcome to Girl Talk with Gabby, a weekly wrestling podcast where I discuss everything happening in the WWE and beyond. This week, the world of wrestling lost the ninth wonder of the world, Joni China Lore. I don't really know what to say about this. I was on Facebook and I'm in a group of people who like to just, you know, discuss wrestling and someone posted a link to China's Twitter and I follow her on Twitter so I immediately went, wait, what's going on? So I went to her Twitter and I clicked on it and I saw the tweet saying she had passed away. And this was very early. So I didn't know, I didn't see any confirmation on any of the wrestling websites that I followed. None of the news sites had confirmed it yet. So I was, I was praying that it was some kind of very bad prank, you know? And I didn't really want to believe that it was real because I had just been recently thinking about things that I thought were realistic to happen in the world of wrestling, and one of the things that I was almost positive was going to happen was China being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And while I'm positive that she is going to be inducted now, it is a real tragedy that she's not going to be alive to see it, because that's all she wanted. All she wanted was recognition for everything that she did for the world of wrestling. And she's getting it now. And it's awful that it took her death to get her what she deserved. I know that there's a lot of complicated stuff happening in her life, but I don't want to think about that. I want to think and talk about what she meant to the world of wrestling as a woman and just as a superstar in general, because that woman was no diva. She was so much more. She's an icon, a real legend in the business. And the world is a little less complete without her, and I just... <laughs> it's hard for me to put into words what she means to me as a fan of women's wrestling. I was too young to watch her in her prime. I was just like three when she was big, and she left the company when I was very, very young. So I didn't get to watch her live and all of that stuff. But when I did start watching wrestling, I would go back and watch, you know, old episodes of Raw from the Attitude Era, from the 90s, and she stood out the most to me. Watching her was an empowering experience, you know? She owned her femininity, and she owned her strength, and she made it seem like the two didn't have to be mutually exclusive. And this was in an era where the WWE really treated their women like crap, so... What she did was invaluable to wrestling as a business, and we wouldn't have women's wrestling the way it is today without her. Undoubtedly so. So I think what I really want to just get across is that no matter what her relationship with WWE was like before her death, no matter how unfair it is that she did not get inducted into the Hall of Fame already, 
Her legacy isn't defined by a Hall of Fame induction. It validates it for sure, but her legacy is so much more than that. And her legacy is going to live on in the eyes of all these little girls who watched her back then and thought, I can be powerful like that. I can be strong like that. I can be treated as an equal to any man in any business that I work in. And that is what's most important about her career. And that is why China is one of the most iconic and important figures in all of wrestling. Okay, well, on a happier note, there was a lot happening this week, not just with China, but with NXT, yeah. Fun fact, I was browsing Twitter again. I seem to find out everything important by browsing social media these days. I was browsing Twitter, scrolling down, and then I see this thing, Smojo wins NXT Championship at Hell Show in Lowell, Massachusetts. What the f- What? Wow. Um, I saw that Pro Wrestling Magazine had tweeted earlier that day saying, I have a feeling Samoa Joe's gonna win the title tonight, and I didn't watch SmackDown, so I didn't know if there was, like, something said on SmackDown, because I had a, a thing that day. But I was just watching, and I see this, and I'm like, wait, what? Is this a joke? Are you kidding me? Like, and when I say is this a joke, I do not mean that as any disrespect towards Samoa Joe. I am elated for Samoa Joe. This is a long overdue thing for him, as wonderful as a champion that Finn Balor was, as instrumental to the rise of NXT last year that he was. Samoa Joe deserves it after all the hard work he's done. And he is now the only wrestler right now to have held both the NXT Championship, the TNA Championship, and the Ring of Honor Championship. That's quite a resume right there. All he needs to do is go over to uh, New Japan for a little bit and just go, hey, can I have this for a sec? Thanks, cool. And he's had all four belts. Like, it's amazing. So congratulations to Samoa Joe. But I think the more intriguing aspect of this, as we all knew that Samoa Joe would be champion at some point, is what Finn Balor is going to do now that the Bullet Club has become kind of integral to the main event of WWE Payback. So later in the podcast, I will be discussing that. So stay tuned and listen through the entire thing. See, this is how I keep you guys listening. I save the juicy stuff for the end after the Raw recap. <laughs> I hope I didn't scare you away with that laugh. I'm sorry. I'm really odd. Anyways, let's talk about Monday Night Raw, shall we? So the Monday Night Raw of April 18th was pre-taped in London, England. It was an excellent episode in my opinion. Ratings were actually kind of down for it, which, you know, I don't blame the current talent. Like, it's super sad that Raw... It's better than it's been all year, but because of how awful it was last year, people just aren't tuning in. They don't know how good it is right now, you know? So hopefully they'll start rebuilding that momentum that they lost last year because really they deserve it. They deserve all the views right now. Raw has been very efficient. The storylines are engaging. I'm even interested in what Roman Reigns is doing, and that never happens. So let's talk about everything that happened in Raw from London. It opened up with Dean Ambrose and his new show, The Ambrose Asylum. I'm a fan. Someone get me a t-shirt for that. He got a massive pop from the London crowd. No one surprised there, really. He got a couple of jokes and then introduced his guest, Shane McMahon. Excellent choice, my friend. London gave Shane a warm welcome as well. Ambrose agreed. He showed a clip of Shane's, you know, the spot from WrestleMania. And he asked him what his agenda was for the WWE. 
And Shane talked about giving stars who didn't really have opportunities the opportunities they need to shine, such as AJ Styles, Sami Zayn, Sasha Banks. Nice name dropping right there. The internet wrestling community loves you, Shane. And then they were interrupted by Kevin Owens, who called Shane mad with power and said he had a vendetta against him. Owens is such a drama queen, and I love it. He then battled Sami Zayn, and then Sami Zayn came out, and then, you know, just everyone came out because Chris Jericho was out there too. Uh, he called Sami Zayn an emotional idiot and criticized McMahon, and then blah, 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 bicker, bicker, bicker. Matches made at Payback, Jericho and Ambrose, and Owens and Zayn. Chaos broke out in the ring, and then matches were set up for the night. The first match set up in the night was Chris Jericho versus Sami Zayn. This was a really good match. I mean, obviously both are very good workers. A lot of high flying from Sami Zayn was involved in this match. Uh, Jericho was utilizing some really old school heel tactics. Not a distraction. I don't know when the last time I saw him win a match without there being a distraction. So, you know, you go Jericho. And he secured the win over Sami Zayn, who still came out of the match looking credible. Although, kind of concerned with how much Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens have been losing lately. I mean, if they were given the proper treatment, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens could have the most emotional and electrifying match at Payback. And I'm saying that fully aware of the other awesome matches set for that card. So that's saying something. So here's hoping that WWE properly takes advantage of them because they deserve it, frankly. <laughs> Coming after this was the first match in the semifinals of the tag team tourney. Enzo and Cass versus the Dudley Boys, aka, um, I thought this was that payback, but it's not. Instead, we're getting something else, which I will say later for the sake of not spoiling anything in case any of you actually haven't spoiled yourselves already for Raw on a Friday. Anyways, Endzone Cast got a huge ovation in London. This is the same crowd that they wowed back at NXT TakeOver London, so not surprised by that. And they wasted no time in getting their trash talk on, and then the Dudleys emerged. This was a good match. Enzo actually looked really good for this match. He took a lot of the beatdown as he usually does. Big Cast tagged in hot. And then they won. Of course they did. They won with the rocket launcher, one of my favorite tag team moves for a lovely, clean victory. Another thing that I think is really important to point out, um, we all know that Enzo and Cass, this, this whole storyline that they've gone down has been the perfect way of introducing them to the casual WWE audience. There's no doubt about that. They are on fire right now, and WWE is really doing a good job of capitalizing on that. But something else I think worth noting is that the Dudley boys feel fresher than they ever ever have since their return to WWE against these two. They are the perfect foils for each other. So if the Dudleys keep having um, the spotlight put on them as the year goes on, I think the perfect way to keep them looking like legitimate threats would be to pit them against Enzo and Cass, whether or not they win the tag team titles or not. So following this, Roman Reigns entered to some pretty legit boos, which were not edited down. I would think that WWE would edit them down since they have the chance to for once on Raw, but you know, they didn't. Uh, he spouted his usual line about not being a good guy, not being a bad guy, but the guy. I would boo him just for saying that. I am so sick of that catchphrase. We get it. We get it. We seriously, honestly, creative and Roman, we, we get it. You're the guy. We know. We are so painfully aware. 
Anyways, uh, he talked down about AJ Styles, said it was his time and his era, Roman Empire, some kind of crap like that. And then the crowd started chanting, boring, boring. Did I ever mention that I love British crowds? And then AJ Styles entered to save the day, getting the kind of welcome that he so very much deserves. Uh, he gave Reigns credit, uh, called him strong and, like, the best that he's ever going to have to face. The crowd did not buy that. It was hilarious. And said that he would have to have the match of his life to become champion, but that he was ready to do so since he has had many matches of his life before and come out on top. Reigns then acknowledged how popular AJ is and then said that he would rather have the respect of everyone with the title than be liked without it, which is a really interesting thing to say. That's not a very babyface phrase to have. So I, I'm wondering, but I don't want to get my hopes up because I've gotten my hopes up literally before pretty much every pay-per-view where they pit Roman Reigns against Dean Ambrose that they're finally going to turn him heel. So I still think that's worth noting because what guy who's a babyface doesn't want to be liked? Huh. And then Styles, because he's freaking awesome, said he just wanted both. But as he left, Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows ambushed Reigns in the middle of the ring to huge cheers and just laid him out. They kicked the crap out of him, quite literally. I'm pretty sure Carl Anderson actually kicked the life out of Roman Reigns' head. It was awesome. And Styles just kind of watched on the ramp. He didn't really look happy about it, but he didn't like, make a save? Not that I would expect him to. I mean, they are his friends. And earlier in the night, Anderson and Gallows had, like, what was the most romantic reunion I've ever seen with AJ Styles. So I didn't really expect AJ to come to the rescue, but it was an intriguing moment. And, uh, yeah, later AJ Styles would deny knowing anything about it, which I'm pretty sure he doesn't know anything about it, because if WWE is trying to turn him heel, they're freaking stupid. But, you know... Who knows? After this match, we had Baron Corbin versus Fandango. Yeah, guys, he still totally exists. Fun fact, we actually have seen Fandango kind of recently. He had a WrestleMania rematch with Chris Jericho and got his ass handed to him. So, I'm sorry, buddy. I'm so sorry your dance couldn't save you. But, anyways, Dolph Ziggler was on commentary for this match, and Baron Corbin just absolutely dominated the poor Fandango. He sent him out of the ring and into Dolph Ziggler, which is really funny, and got a very easy victory in no time. But he wasn't able to really celebrate for long as Dolph Ziggler just went after him, but it didn't really do Ziggler any good because Baron Corbett hit the end of days at ringside. Have I ever mentioned how much I love the end of days and how awesome of a name for a finisher that is? Anyways, he looks to be settling right in on the main roster. He's blending a lot better than I think anyone really would have expected. I'm so happy that he's up here. I think he deserves it. He's definitely been with NXT for a while, and his character, I think, has a lot of good possibilities for the mid-card for this year. So here's hoping he is utilized properly. And then after this, we had a Miz TV segment, because we all miss that, right? <laughs> Mizzed that, get it? I'm funny. Anyways, Maurice introduced him in the most obnoxious way possible. She's brilliant. And he really wasted no time. He mocked Prince George and then bragged about being Intercontinental Champion and then started making out with Maurice in the ring, making every middle-aged guy in there alone or with his buddies extremely jealous. Therefore, everyone booed. And then... Cesaro interrupted in his beautiful tearaway suit, and he mocked the Miz, and then, uh, 
Miz delivered his own variation of Liam Neeson's monologue from Taken, which I was in stitches over this. This was freaking hilarious. And then Cesaro cut him off saying, when my hand goes up, your mouth goes shut. He does not sound like that. I'm sorry. I can't do accents. And, you know, the crowd ate it up. Whoever said that Cesaro has no charisma? The guy is brimming with it. He is full of it. I think his return has really exemplified that because he's on fire, I gotta say. And then he gave The Miz a quote of his own. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubblegum. And then The Miz just kind of brushed this off and introduced Cesaro's opponent for the night, Rusev. But Cesaro revealed that plans had changed, thank you Shane McMahon, and that The Miz and League of Nations would be teaming up against him, and as he ripped away his shirt to reveal a Budios t-shirt, oh my god, The New Day. This was easily the pop of the night. The crowd was like screaming Big E's little entrance stick with him, and were just going nuts for the New Day. It was an incredible thing to witness when you just think about where they were only a year ago, you know? It's incredible to really think about, and it's just goes to show how much a year can change, because really, when you think about it, one year ago, Seth Rollins was champion, John Cena was United States champion and doing the US Open Challenge. We had not yet seen the debuts of Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, and AJ Styles was still in New Japan. Damn. That's crazy. Anyways, Cesaro in the New Day versus the League of Nation and The Miz was a lot of fun to watch. It's always cool when they put Xavier Woods in the ring because he's literally never wrestling. And I get that he's great on ringside and stuff like that, but seriously, dude, he, he can actually wrestle. And, as usual, Woods took the brunt of the beating in the match, but he also got some offense in, which was new and exciting, so I loved that. Basically, uh, I think the highlight of this was seeing Cesaro take part in the Unicorn Stampede. Something I really liked about this match was that very often in tag matches with a lot of singles competitors, you can kind of get lost in the shuffle, you know? You're trying to spotlight so many people at once that you end up spotlighting no one. But the New Day and the League of Nations in the Miz took very special care to really hype up Cesaro in this match, you know? He was still the star, and it just did a fantastic job of really elevating him before his match against the Miz at Payback. So, excellently executed. Hmm, that's a weird way to say it. Excellently executed uh, storyline within the match and just a good match in general. I had fun watching it. And then backstage, Mauro Ronaldo, who was filling in for Renee Young, which is just kind of cool to see. I love Mauro. Uh, interviewed Charlotte before Natalia interrupted, revealing that her uncle Bret Hart would be in her corner at Payback. This is really freaking cool. I love Bret Hart. I think he's awesome. I listen to his podcast and I just, I love him. He's awesome. He's the best. Brett the Hitman Hart. Bay. I just said that. I'm sorry. Anyways, this is really cool. But, on the other hand, this is also exactly the same thing as what happened when Natalia and Charlotte faced off for the NXT Women's Championship. And I understand, yeah, this is a bigger stage and all, but WWE is running the risk of centering this storyline too much on the men and not the women. And the women are the ones fighting for it. Now, if Brett and Ric Flair take kind of a step back and really let Natalia and Charlotte shine and build the feud kind of more on their own, then I have no problem with it. I think that using them to kind of prop them up and just get a little few more eyes on the match will do wonders, and it'll be really cool to see them paying tribute to the women like this. But I don't have that much faith in WWE, despite what they gave us at WrestleMania. So, uh, mm, 
I'm cautiously optimistic about this, I think. Very cautiously optimistic. Anyways, we had, and this is another reason I'm not kind of mm, wavering in my faith in WWE, we had a big old tag team match with all the ladies at once. Remember the days when we had two women segment and one Raw? <laughs> Anyways, this match was Natalia, Sasha Banks, Becky Lynch, and Paige versus Charlotte, Naomi, Tamina, and Summer Rae. There's a lot of subplots going on in the women's division right now, which I will say is a positive thing WWE is doing. It looks like they're building up a feud between Becky Lynch and Emma, who oddly wasn't at Raw this week, but I digress, they still kind of hyped it up. And also between Sasha Banks and Summer Rae, if you were watching the SmackDown Fallout posted on WWE's YouTube after SmackDown, Summer Rae kind of badmouthed at Sasha Banks. And so that leads me to believe we might even see three women's matches at Payback. One of them will probably be in the pre-show or the kickoff show. So, uh, but it is encouraging to see multiple storylines going on for the women that don't involve men that are centered around things other than the championship because there is only one women's championship right now and a lot of ladies. So that's nice to see. And it also seems to be building very slowly, very organically. So I like it. I like that aspect a lot. Um, this match was all tagging in and tagging out with some relative ease. No one superstar was in the match for too long of a time. But I think the most important thing that happened in this match was, of course, the end. Natalia locked the sharpshooter in on Charlotte, and she tapped. Yeah, that's right. Charlotte tapped out to the sharpshooter. So this was a very, it was a good match. I mean, the ladies know how to share time in the ring. Bless their hearts, they've had to a lot in the past couple of years. So I think that uh, I'm encouraged, I'm encouraged. I know we have seen Charlotte and Natalia square off so many times, but Charlotte is at her best when she's wrestling someone who is good. I mean, she's not Bailey. she can't pull a match out of, you know, poop like Bailey did with Eva Marie, but... When you put her up against someone who knows the business and knows how to wrestle as well and as much as Charlotte, uh, not Charlotte, Natalia does, then I think Charlotte will really not only just learn a lot, but look very good as well. So this will be a good match and rumor has it it's going to extend to Extreme Rules as well. So I can, I can, I can live with that. I can definitely live with that. After this, we had the next semifinal match. In the tag team tourney, the Vaude Villains versus the Usos. I have to say, the Vaude Villains are doing much better than I expected they would. I thought they would go the Ascension route, and I am so happy to have been proven wrong because uh, they looked really good. They're very good in the ring when given the chance to. I mean, their shtick is kind of corny, but it's supposed to be, and I think them being heels definitely adds a new layer to it. So I'm glad that back in NXT they made that heel turn because it's really made them much more interesting to watch. And of course, they won the match, clearly. Uh, the Usos are still kind of beat up from their attack from Anderson and Gallo, so they kind of let them save face a bit while also making the Vaudevillains look pretty freaking awesome for defeating a veteran tag team like that. So that means that the, N the NXT teams, the two NXT call-ups, will be in a match at Payback for the number one contendership for the tag team titles. Does that not blow your mind? Isn't that just incredible? And of course, the Vaudevillains and... Enzo and Cass had a great exchange on SmackDown, Smackdown as well, kind of just trash-talking at each other. It was really entertaining to watch, and of course, the villains actually sounded really, really good on the mic. I mean, I know they normally do the silent 
wrestling entrance thing, but when given the chance to cut promos, the two can go, especially Aiden English. I mean, the man's awesome. So I am super excited to see this rivalry kind of play out and to see who is going to be the number one contender for the New Day's titles. We know the New Day is probably going to drop them soon, so I really want to see who our next champion is going to be. And if anyone, I'm glad it's going to be someone from NXT. They deserve it, and I think they're really starting a new renaissance of tag team wrestling. You will see this all over wrestling websites and forums. Everyone saying the tag team division has not been this interesting since the days of Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys. And that's really saying something. And, you know, the Dudley boys are still in it, which is kind of, it's really cool to think about. So I am very optimistic about this and I'm excited. I'm excited for payback. After this, we had basically a squash match of Apollo Crews versus Heath Slater on the condition that if Apollo Crews lost, he would have to join the social outcasts. Uh... Okay. Anyways, Apollo looked great in the ring. Obviously, the guy is no stranger to putting on really good technical matches, but something I'm really concerned about is WWE not taking the time to develop his character and really introduce him to us. Yes, we know that he's good in the ring, but what makes him smile so big? What makes him so enthusiastic about wrestling? Why did he get into wrestling in the first place? Why should we root for him, you know? You need to tell us these things because we can't really infer it on our own. He's not hes not a character yet, you know? He didn't have the chance to really develop develop that character down in NXT because he was called up so soon. And as much as I believe in him and as much as I like watching him in the ring, he really does need a very full, very clear character. And we really do need to be properly introduced to him before he's going to find any semblance of success and before anyone's going to buy into him in the slightest. Speaking of defined characters, our main event of the night was Dean Ambrose versus Kevin Owens. Yeah, we've seen this match a lot, but who cares? These two are awesome in the ring together. I remember their feud uh, for the Intercontinental Championship was just freaking awesome, you know? So they they brought it again, once again. Uh, the London crowd didn't really respond as enthusiastically as you would have thought, but in their defense, they were probably exhausted. Raw is a very long show to sit through, and I don't really blame them for being too tired, especially over a match that, yes, we have seen so many times. Anyways, they really wasted no time in exchanging blows. It was nice of them to maintain that aggression that they had when they were actually feuding. It was very good to see. They did a lot of really fun stuff. They sent each other into the announce table. They got out all of their awesome moves in their arsenal. But unsurprisingly, Dean Ambrose got the win. And then Sami Zayn came with him to kind of uh, celebrate. They kind of celebrated and stood tall. But then, oh yes, Chris Jericho caught him with the code breaker to close out the night. As much as I like Jericho versus Ambrose, especially considering these two are two of the best talkers in WWE right now. I really hope that before payback, WWE gives us the exact reasons why they freaking hate each other so much, you know? At least bring up the fact that back at Night and Champions, Chris Jericho walked away from them, you know? Bring in something, make it personal, you know? Make, make it a real story. Don't just give us... Dean Ambrose is annoying, so Chris Jericho wants to bury him. Don't give us that crap. We don't buy into that. Give us a real story. It is sports entertainment, after all, and you guys know that I'm very loath to ever use that term. So I would like to see more of that storyline, but whether or not they give it to us, we're still going to get a really awesome match either way. So I'm not, not like, you know, chopping at the bit for it. So guys, that was Monday Night Raw. 
And now that we've talked about that, let's talk about what could possibly happen at next week's Monday Night Raw. Now that Finn Balor is no longer the NXT champion. Now, I did see rumors circulating the internet last night about Finn Balor rolling his ankle, and that's why they kind of moved the championship onto Samoa Joe. But I'm not really buying it. I think it's a work. And let me explain why. If you look on the internet, you will find a video of Finn Balor taking a bow after NXT Lowell which usually only happens if you're leaving, mind you. We also saw Finn Balor not leaving in an ambulance. He left in the tour bus. He seemed to be kind of limping, but not really. He looked like he was, he looked fine. Basically, he looked fine. And he said to the crowd, I'll see you on Monday. And there was like a small crowd of like 40 people waiting to watch him get into the bus. So that seems as much of a hint as ever. And additionally, WWE isn't really announcing this injury a lot. Like, you don't see much about it. You just see speculation about it. And I feel like if it was a legitimate injury, they would make a bigger deal out of it. Second off, there were cameras at this championship match, and they made a kind of a big deal out of announcing it, even though it was just a house show. So if the plan was to just have Finn Balor retain, why film it? Why tape it, you know? Why hype it up so much? Additionally, they just, it just seemed, they seemed way too prepared for it. And also, if you look at reactions on Twitter from, other WWE superstars, like, you know, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, you know, they're all saying, okay, see you soon. They're all hinting at it. And even Carl Anderson, I saw him tweeting, uh, congratulations to Finn Balor on such a great title run. And then he did, uh, the little, uh, the emoji. I just realized that since this is a podcast, you can't see me doing it, but the little, you know, little bullet club hand thing that they all do. So I think that's worth considering. And that's definitely worth remembering because I think it is very, very likely that we are going to be seeing Finn Balor, maybe not on Raw, but at Payback. And I think that he's going to have a big role to play. Now, what exactly is that role going to be? Uh, there's several different possibilities for it. I think it's very likely that they could bring him in as a heel and pit him up against AJ Styles, like Bullet Club further turning on AJ Styles. First off, this is a bit of a dream match for the New Japan mark in me because Finn Balor left New Japan on the same night that AJ Styles came in to take over the Bullet Club. So we never really got to see those two face off against each other. And AJ Styles has already said that he really wants to get in the ring with Finn Balor. So I think it would be a really cool thing to really explore. It would also get AJ Styles out of the title picture for now. Uh, I assume Seth Rollins is going to get involved in the title picture when he returns, so this keeps Styles busy for, for a short period of time. Hopefully Styles will be able to feud with Rollins as well. I have so many dream feuds for AJ Styles, you guys. But it just, it makes a lot more sense to bring Finn Balor in as a heel. First off, if anyone has seen Finn's New Japan work, he was an excellent heel. As over as he is as a babyface with NXT crowds, if you introduce him correctly to casual WWE audiences, he's gonna get booed. He's gonna get booed, and it's gonna be good heat, the kind of heat that you really want, because he's the kind of villain where you just look at him and you're like, man, you're literally the coolest human being on the planet, and I'm only rooting against you on principle, because you're awesome. And that was kind of how people looked at the Bullet Club, the NWO, that kind of thing. And I think he can be really good at doing it. And I think it's better to turn Finn Balor heel than to turn AJ Styles heel. Because first off, Balor's skills are kind of more conducive to being a heel than AJ's are. I mean, AJ is okay on the mic, but I think what makes him at least better than Roman Reigns on the mic is that everything he says comes off as sincere, and I don't think we can really buy into him being a heel, at least not yet, or not really ever. I, I, I can never root against AJ Styles, but Finn Balor can be the kind of guy to really be an excellent foil to AJ, 
Bullet Club versus AJ Styles is the kind of feud that can really carry the WWE over the summer, so I'm I'm rooting for it to happen, and I really, really, really do want it to happen, so here's hoping, you guys, here's hoping, because if we see Finn Balor versus AJ Styles, well, that would just be too sweet. <laughs> All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening this week. I will be back next week. Good news, I might be able to go to Monday Night Raw in St. Louis on May 2nd. Either that or SmackDown in Kansas City on May 3rd. I will let you guys know which one I'm going to. Uh, say hi to me if you're there. Duh. It'll be the Raw after payback, so there will definitely be a lot happening, kind of a big fallout going on, so I am super excited. I hope it all works out. Check me out on Twitter. You can follow me at GirlTalkWWE or follow my personal account at not underscore Gabriella. You can also check out my blog, www.girltalkwithgabby.com. I got a little bit of a makeover, just minor. I just added some new pictures. And you can also find a couple of my articles on smartoutmoment.com check it out. It's freaking awesome. That entire website is awesome. So definitely give me that support. I appreciate it so very much. I, it means the world to me that you guys enjoy what I do. And so as long as you guys keep liking it, I'll keep doing it. So thank you so much. And I will see you all next week. Bye.